Today's scripture reading is Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 10. Hear the word of the Lord. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then... The elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> the scripture readings are scheduled in advance. We don't see Tierney coming up and go, let's pick a really difficult one. But it, it might seem that way. <laughs> This is not the first uh, odd one that you've had. And I will say, uh, this is the toned down and censored version. Do not read this, which of course means read it, um, in, the, in the ESV, which is actually a more accurate translation. And uh, now I'm going to uh, ha, ha, ha. For those of you who are too lazy to bring your Bibles to church or you don't have Bibles or, you, well, you don't need to bring Bibles to church anymore. Um, uh, I'll say, don't keep reading. What comes next is a lot worse than what's here. So those of you who don't have Bibles, you can't do that. So anyway, um, uh, but it does get, uh, it does actually from this point get more strange. It's a long weekend. Many people are away. Uh, we have them in our prayers. But I, yes, I am aware that on Thanksgiving Sunday, some guests or family members or people who aren't uh, always out at church come to church. And then we have a scripture reading like that. Uh, and, of course, at the end, say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading like that could seem, at first reaction, to provide the impetus to say, uh, this is what we're going to talk about today, holiness and what it means in the Christian life, but could provide the impetus to say this, we have outgrown religion. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And if you wanted to say that, you, let's be honest, you could say that with that text. It also shows that many of, many of us who, who say we read Scripture um, and read all of the Bible, did you know this text, how quickly we skip over some of these things? Uh, you could say, and many people have, that this shows us how obscure religion is. And everything that, not everything, but many things that people complain about and point out are in there. The text itself and whatever is happening seems weird and strange, troubling. There are challenging gender roles in this, though even at first glance, the, the, the woman in the story is not, um, is not simply kind of 
some of the characters that you get that religion just oppresses women, which has been true in history, uh, she is not um, without agency in this. Uh, there's, there's more there than, than sometimes the criticism that comes. And can you see here what's going on? You start to see that as you get, if you want to get past the, the sense of this just sounds off and look a little deeper, you'll see that though I would even say that in some ways it seems to be a bit misguided or a bit off base, um, there is direction to care for this woman in a culture where, where she wouldn't normally be cared for. Now, I'm not holding up the idea that and, and I'm always, I always remind people, especially when we, we talk a lot about, not that we do this, but you can hear a lot of talk in religious circles about traditional marriage. Or tradi- be careful when you're talking about that because traditional marriage, as demonstrated in this, can sometimes be, be uh, set out as a property rights thing. Um, and so there's troubling things in here, but in the, in the, in the trouble, there is also a direction that, that this person cannot be left to fend for herself. In this, in this world, the culture as it was then. Still, the question would be, how do you get, and I, I, this is an important question for me, okay, because as, as I've grown up as a Christian, I haven't had a lot of people always help me with this explicitly, and so I've had to do a lot of the work myself and, and found good company and good mentors and stuff, but you don't necessarily hear this a lot in church. How do you get from what we just read to Jesus? It's, it's at least a question that should. And I would add to that, what if we say, because Christians believe all of the Bible is inspired, it's all God's word. But do I believe that in the same way that I believe, you know, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? That who, are they equal? Is it? How do these fit together? How do we get from here to Jesus? And in my mind, and this is what some of you might have, this is my consideration for our series, how do we get from Jesus to some of the things that are said and done in his name today? That, all of that has to do with this concept of holiness. And in our series, From Genesis to Nazareth, that's what we're calling it, we're looking at understanding Christian faith because our depictions, uh, our concepts of Christian faith, uh, the way we live and the way we see Christianity sometimes live can be there can be distortion in there. I am not saying, so if you want to know exactly, you want to get everything right, listen to me. I mean, I'm mindful that we're part of a larger church. But I'm trying to get at the sense of what are key Christian doctrines and how are we to understand this faith. So we started with creation and God's goodness and, and God's image being made in God's image that humanity is, is, is made this way. Uh, we talked about uh, sovereignty last week, this trusting in God. What does it mean to trust in God by looking at the story of Moses? And today we look at this Christian faith with the question of how are we to understand the rules and where does holiness come from? Because now while I'm aware that this text here, so I'm not doing a, a deep you know, biblical study at this point, this text has a, a certain relationship to what you'd call the law, so here are the ways you're going to live. And so it is in some ways at arm's length from the law, the Ten Commandments and these rules. But it, I, I picked it intentionally because it's an obscure direction. Here's how you're to live. 
And it brings up the question, where does holiness, in my mind, it brings up the question, where does holiness come from? Now we can get to you and your life, okay? So where does holiness, where does rightness, where does good living, like being a good person, and not people say, I just want to be a good person. In Christian understanding, where does that come from? Now, for most people who understand Christianity as just a religion, including some Christians, you know, one of the many religions, uh, for, for most people, they would answer that holiness or goodness or rightness comes from observation of the rules in some way, shape, or form. There's a Christian distortion that then says, this is not Christianity properly understood, that says, well, we couldn't follow the rules, so God had to give us Jesus to trust in because he followed the rules. But you see how that still puts the rules up here? That Jesus becomes the one who, well, we can't follow him, he did, so we'll trust in him. That's not actually what Christian faith scripturally teaches, but sometimes if we live under that idea, we we still think that it's the rules ultimately that bring holiness. That's people's perception. And then what happens if some of the rules seem crazy or outdated or specific to a cultural time? Then we get different religious groups saying, these ones are really, really important to follow, and other people saying, no, they're not. Some of you have had those battles in your own traditions or your own families or whatever. So you follow the rules, and then you can be good and holy. That is wrong, at least in the Christian faith. This text, which seems so strange, but there's more there, as I'm saying, and I'm not, as I said before, going to go into depth in it, but the text fits within a larger context in Scripture. The text is in the book of Deuteronomy. And what Deuteronomy is, without giving it too much of a Bible lesson here, Deuteronomy are the addresses... Sorry, what Deuteronomy is, is how are these people going to live? How are they going to live as they go from Egypt to the Promised Land? Contained within a larger set of speeches to the people as they prepare to enter the land. And everything hinges on this. Deuteronomy chapter 4, or sorry, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Now, you'll, you'll, um, you'll hear something that you're familiar with. You weren't familiar with Deuteronomy 25, but you're a little bit familiar with Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. These are words spoken to this nation as they're entering this new time in their lives. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, is one. You shall love the Lord your God. Now we got you, right? With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, is it troubling to you that that's in the same book as the family of the unsandaled one? It's the heart of the book, that, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Jesus, as you know, later adds to that. What does he add? And love your neighbor as yourself. On this All of the commandments and all of the laws, all of the prophecies even, on this they hinge, they stand. This is the summary. So, at least there you can see, you can't understand the text as much as you can possibly understand it, the unsandaled text, without this first. On this, everything hinges. And in this portion, you have marriage and social responsibility in the time culturally that it's expressed, which is different than our time in terms of social welfare, in terms of how we care for one another. I want you to see some of that here. The text is, and I'm okay with this. If anybody knows me here, they know this. I'm okay with the fact that it's at least funny. 
It's a, it's a funny text. Take off his sandal, spit in his face, hit him with the sandal, and from now on, he's going to be called the family of the unsandaled one. There's, it's like, I can't read that and not go, what? But I've asked, how do we get from Jesus, from here to Jesus, and from Jesus to some of the things that we see? The question is always one of trying to, trying to clarify the relationship with the law, with rules, commandments. When Jesus is around on this earth, so as we get to Nazareth and then into the Gospels, when Jesus walks this earth, this is a fundamental tension of his life. Is How is he going to be seen in relationship to the rules? Things at that time had not been good for, you call the people of God. They were, they were living in an occupied territory. Other people were in charge. And there was all kinds of unrest. Now, it wasn't as bad as it had been, but there was this tension. And into that tension came Jesus Christ. And because people followed him and were attracted to him, and because he seemed to accept this notion that he was the Messiah, those who wanted to hold the rules looked at him really, really closely and really, really carefully. And he got into all kinds of conversations, at least. There's a group of people at that time, now you can translate it into whatever time in history you want. There's a group of people at that time who are saying, well, things are difficult right now. They're not like they should be. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I just know in any group like this, there's a bunch of people. Things are difficult right now. They're not like they should be. And we could get various hands going up. And there's people in this room, because there's people in any gathering this size, who say, yep, that sums up today. Things are difficult. They're not like they should be. If you feel that, what happens, groups of people then exist within those cultures who say, I know what we need to do to get back to the way things should be, and then what's the next thing they do? We need to follow the following rules because they've been abandoned. Now, this isn't just in Christian culture. This is in other religious cultures as well. You'll see it all over the place. And in the context where Jesus was living, these people were called the Pharisees. These were well-meaning, good-living people who didn't like what they saw going on around them and said, we need to get back to the way things should be. But they were troubled by Jesus because his relationship to the rules seemed not to fit what they thought that it should. You are not following the rules, was their accusation towards him. Now, heres I want to tell you that there are two ways, and I know there's variations in this, and it's okay, right? Because you, you'll say to me, well, I'm not that, but I'm not that either. I'm just trying to, we're trying to learn together here. So there are two primary ways to relate to the rules. The first is, be, is to be committed to them in extra measure. Uh, now, this, this might be, um, well, I'll put it this way. The trouble when we commit to them in extra measure is the first thing we become keenly aware of is how other people aren't following them. Again, it happens every time. Uh, we tend to give ourselves all kinds of leeway, even though we might be quite self-deprecating, but we become hyper-aware of how other people aren't following the rules, and if only they change, then things would be okay. Some of you have grown up in religious systems like this. And children are especially um, sensitive to this and as they grow up. And they can see it. And you don't think kids can see it, but they can see it. They can feel it. 
uh, particularly as they get older and they see this person is really committed to the rules and there seems to be a lot of control here or whatever. So you may have, have stories to share of being in a system like this. But there is a second way to relate to the rules that has to be spoken about in our current cultural context, and that is to express freedom from the constraints of the rules. Now, we have that spirit in this room as well. In some ways, I think we have the second one more than the first. This is not a highly religious church. Now, people who never go to church might think that it is, but it's not. I mean, I know that. If it was, I mean, the music team broke like 50 rules this morning. Right? Right? If, if you, from, from traditions that you come from, and I can look out right now, a lot of you are breaking rules right now. This is not a highly religious church. It's not something that, you know, you get, I don't think, I hope, get the, the finger kind of, you're, you're in trouble because you don't follow the rules. Now, that committed to the rules in extra measure, some of you might still feel that because you might think things aren't that great, we need to get back to the way they were. But what we have more often, I think, in our church is an ex- expressing freedom from the constraints of the rules. So I could say, I know many of you, and I sometimes fall into this as well, say, isn't it great that we don't have to be religious? And I say, yes, it is, except it's not meaningful in and of itself. Neither one of these two responses to what is, where does holiness come from? Neither one of these two responses offers any true Christian view of holiness. Will you please hear that? So whether you are committed to following the rules in extra measure, or whether you feel liberated, right? And that's the feeling. I know the feeling. Liberated from religious structures, neither one of those things in and of itself has anything to offer or anything of depth to offer in terms of Christian holiness. Jesus Christ was not a legalist. He did not walk around upset at people. Uh, In fact, the ones who were most attracted to Jesus Christ were the most outcast of society. But hear this. Jesus also did not say, who cares? The rules are dumb and useless. He didn't say that. He wasn't the leader of a troop gladly thumbing his nose at rule keepers. Kind of rolling his eyes at them, right? And that's what we get sometimes. He said instead... That he was the, now listen to this, the fulfillment of the law. Now, if I want to offer you a demanding uh, challenge, measurement for your life, I could give you all kinds of religious rules and tell you how you're breaking them. And you might feel kind of, well, I guess I'm a failure, so uh, I'm going to experience this liberation or whatever it is. I could give you a set of religious rules. If I wanted to be really demanding, I could do what was in that song that Bart just sang for us. How could anyone deny that kind of love? Now the next line. Knowing every heart is measured by that kind of love. Do you see? The Christian faith is demanding. Will you measure your heart by the love of Christ? And if you did, what do you have left to say, look at me, I'm following the rules. Every heart is measured by that kind of love. Jesus didn't thumb his nose at the rules. He said, I'm the fulfillment of the law. And as you seek to understand his love, you will be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, transformed. Jesus said, you need to be holy. 
Actually, he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he looked at the Pharisees and he spoke to the people around who the Pharisees were always condemning because they wanted these, you know, they realized the people were breaking the rules. Jesus, talking to those people, looked at the Pharisees and said to the people, do you know that your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees? That's impossible. There's no possible way that these people's righteousness could surpass that of the Pharisees because they didn't even have the religious instruction to know how to follow the rules. So what, what could Jesus have meant? Knowing every heart is measured by that kind of love. And then he shattered the common understanding of right and wrong and goodness and badness. He told stories like the workers in the vineyard where still, these stories are great, the parables, because they still break our, even our current concepts of the way the world should be. So the workers in the vineyard, and those of you who know the story, the lazy, good-for-nothing people who show up super late in the day to work get paid the same amount as the hard workers. Have you told people that's the way the world is? Jesus said that's the way the kingdom of God is. And when the ones who worked hard got mad, Jesus basically, in, in the form of the story, said... Are you envious because I'm generous? He shattered all of these understandings of good and bad and right and wrong. He told a story about a good-for-nothing son, less than good-for-nothing. A son who said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me what's rightfully mine, money-wise, and I'm done with you. And he took off. You know the story of the prodigal son, which has become integral in Christian understanding. And by the way, no father at that time would do what that father did. And right now, most of you would say, that dad is crazy to do that because he's just going to, ready for it? He's just going to enable his son. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom's like. Like like the love of a father who, when he sees his son, runs to him. You see how it's not an abandonment of holiness? It's taking it so much higher and so much further. Or when asked what to do about evil, Jesus tells the story about the weeds, the wheat and the weeds, which seems to say, let the, let the weeds grow up because if you pull everything out, you'll pull the good out with the bad. In other words, a forbearance of evil in the world. How, what is that? That doesn't fit anybody's concept. We have political leaders and others saying, we're going to rid the world of evil. Wow. Let me put it to you this way. If you focus on the rules in terms of holiness, either stringently committed an extra measure to them, either stringently or dismissively, you will find yourself in all kinds of trouble. At least you will find yourself living a faith that is slightly less than Christian. It's something else. So take any example you want. And I'm going to remove names from here because even though they're just like celebrity figures or whatever, um, I don't have any interest in taking a shot at them. But you can just turn the news on and see people taking political stances, religious stances, you know, saying our world's all going to hell or whatever it is and I'm thinking in my mind right now of one figure who, who took stances about marriage in a certain way and, and we've ruined the idea of marriage and we need to get back to sanctity and all this kind of stuff. And then it came out that he was having like three affairs and had abused children. 
Does he believe in good living? I guess he does. The trouble with being a rules-at-all-cost person is it sets you up to to distance yourself from other people. And once you distance yourself from other people, you can begin to use them for your own pleasure, or you can condemn the ones that don't fit into your worldview. If you can tell me that Jesus did that, well, I don't know how I'm going to finish that sentence. You can't tell me that Jesus ever did that. He didn't create this distance. The trouble, though, with being a dismissive person in terms of the rules and saying, I'm so glad that I'm liberated now and I don't live under those structures that I used to. And by the way, I'm glad of that too. But the trouble with, with having that as a worldview and actually thinking that's what your faith is about is that you begin to live your life thinking that what's important is what you feel. And as long as you feel good and you're not hurting anyone, that's the standard. Can I say here, that's a brutal standard? It's like actually a bit disgusting. And those who say it, know it. It's what I feel and I'm not hurting anyone. You know what it means? I've got nothing. The answer to where does holiness come from in Christian faith, the Christian answer is that it comes from Jesus Christ himself. Holiness cannot be understood detached from Jesus Christ. So here's how it works to put it really quickly. As you trust in Jesus Christ, you say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. One of the promises is that you are then given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit alive. And that Spirit transforms you over time into Christ-likeness. Holiness comes from Christ in you. Now, this is not exclusive. This isn't to shake our fingers at people who don't believe the Christian faith. But this is what the Christian faith says. I need you every hour. Holiness is Christ in me. And Jesus says, this is my command, that you love one another. And then we have this kind of word with Jesus Christ, mercy. I'm going to go back one. The mercy of Jesus Christ, which is always striking, even today, even in 2015. When you see a religious leader showing mercy, it's like the world acts as if it's never seen it before. Right? We've used the example of the Pope, the leader of the Catholic Church, and showing mercy. And people seem to be like, where does this come from? In Jesus Christ, that mercy was evident again and again and again and again and over and over with every single kind of person. Every single kind of person. The religious people that drove you crazy. The outcasts and the prostitutes and the rest of them. Always mercy. It was in speaking to a a religious leader, Nicodemus, but it was a one-on-one conversation. Jesus did did often or most always counter group think. So if it's a group of Pharisees and they're all like, this world is terrible and the problem is other people, Jesus would go at them. But when he's having a conversation one-on-one with a Pharisee, including Nicodemus, it's to Nicodemus that Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should have abundant eternal life. It's an invitation even to the even to this person who he may have seen himself as Jesus' opponent. Even the ones that were hated by everybody. I'm 
Donald Trump was up in a tree. Jesus was speaking one day. Actually, I can't. Donald Trump's a bad example because there's a lot of people that love Donald Trump. So you have. But but it, Donald Trump was up in a tree at a Democratic meeting, and Jesus said, "Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have lunch with you today." And people said, "Him? Yeah." Every heart is measured by that kind of love. Care for others. He equated this care for others with actually seeing him. He said, they, people said to him, another story he told, when did we see you? And he said, when you did unto the least of these, right? When you gave them food, food for the hungry. When you visited those in prison. As you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. And in this text, it's hard to use the word unsandaled one as a text, but there is in a primitive way, even, even back you know, in this culture, that kind of care. That this person should not be left to her own devices. I'm intrigued when I hear a call to abandon religion and then everything would be okay. Um, and some of you might be living with that idea that if we got rid of religion, then the world would be okay. Some of you might have friends who say that, right? Uh, the problem with that is, is that it starts from a default that the human heart, the, the, the default way to understand the world is love and compassion and human rights and care for people. Can I, can I open your eyes to this a little bit? That's not the default way that people live. In other words, when Jesus came along and said, love your neighbor, love your enemy... Right? Don't repay evil for evil. People, people living went, what is he talking about? In other words, the foundation of some of the things in our culture, kindness, human rights to a large degree, come from this type of teaching and thinking and living. So you want to take religion out? Well, you might be back at Every man for himself. Many of our concepts of humility and kindness and self-sacrifice come from the Christian faith. I'm not saying this to take shots at other religions because there are, there are good things across traditions, but I'm speaking of the Christian faith. And, and particularly the worth of the individual. Now how, how do we know that an individual, no matter what their ability Right? Or their disability, or how do we know that they are of intrinsic worth and value? The Christian faith has an answer for that because they're created in the image of God. Everyone. And human rights spring from some of that understanding. Calls from Jesus to be compassionate, to turn the other cheek. How do we get from this text to Jesus, and how do we get from Jesus to what we see often today? My call to you is that we need to be better than right. You know when you're in an argument with a loved one, a spouse or a friend or something, and you have that moment, and if it's good, like if you're not living in the shadow of the argument and it's still really thorny and it could go south at any time, but if it's good, you're, you're able to joke with one another by this point, and you say, I'm thinking of, you know, my own experiences, obviously, and you say, well, I was right. If you do that in humor, of course, you really, but you need to be better than right. You need to be loving. There's no Christianity being right. Do you understand that? There's no Christianity in being right. And again, I'll say it over and over again from here. You will do most of your damage when you are right. 
you've done most of the damage in your family and raising kids and whatever else when you're right. Jesus calls us to be better than right. Every act a decision of love. You should never congratulate yourself. I'm speaking to myself now. I can think of like six things in my own life right now. And by the way, I'm wrong more than I'm right. I accept that, okay? But I can think in my own life, you should never congratulate yourself for being right. It's not an achievement. Love is an achievement. How are you going to love? That's the measure. And that's the measure not just in some nice feeling, you know, all we need is love. Actually, I was thinking of this song last night. I was up here finishing work on on some things today, and uh, I was thinking of the. I knew Bart was going to play this song. And then on the radio, Randy Randy Bachman's um, whatever he has on Saturday nights, he was doing a thing on the Beatles, and I just caught the last song. And it was um, it was a, it was a tribute to John Lennon. And there was the so the song was All You Need Is Love. Nice catchy song, but it struck me the difference between this and that. All you need is love. You know, love, love, love. It's nice. It's catchy. But where is that love coming from? Can't be bought or sold or faked that kind of love. Greater love has no man than that kind of love. The deaf can hear, the blind can see. It only takes a child to show that kind of love. When that love comes from Jesus Christ, as demonstrated in Scripture, now you have somewhere to go. We need to be better than right. It's a constant call to this dynamic love in our lives. What I want for Sutherland Church, like, is it nice to have right living, to have a bunch of people who follow rules and do really good things? Yes, it is. But apart from love, it's really just annoying. So I'm not looking for a culture of way to go, you follow the rules. Or even worse, yay me, I followed the rules. This is, when you're raising a child, of course, this is something that you, you, you know, you're trying to get them past a sense of just, you know, black and white. So I don't want to just congratulate you for following the rules, though if I'm treating you like a child, I would. Right? But if I can see you growing in love. The problem is that when we focus on the rules, it's so often not about other people, and it's often not about God. It's about us. That is a childish heart, right? Children can't help but operate in that way. But we're supposed to be more mature. But neither do I want us, and this is maybe more important, neither do I want us to celebrate this liberation from the rules as if it's meaningful in and of itself. You hear that? I'm so glad we're free from the way things used to be. I will accompany you in that chorus. But I hope you have more to say to me than that. You hear me? I'm so glad that we don't have to live under this kind of religious oppression, however people may have experienced it in the past, if they did. But you have to have more. Because I understand now that the call is to live this life of love and that is so much more demanding. It is not the picture of saying, we're so glad we're free, let's raise a glass to that. That's only a tiny, tiny piece of it. In every interaction, this call to love, knowing every heart is measured by the love of Christ. And now you can get to 1 Corinthians 13 
if I give all that I have, if I surrender my body to the flames, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. He covers every base in this. If I have super spiritual gifts and if I have super social, you know, uh, thinking in terms of social gospel, if I've got it all, and you know the text, but I don't have love, and the language is beautiful, poetic, everything. If I have all of that and I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong. Bong, bong, bong. That's what I am. What do people do from that? They walk away quick. Or a clanging cymbal. Hear this, people. You are called to a high measure in this life. The love of Jesus Christ. And every interaction you have, it's daunting. Now you have a way to measure. Of course, you can't live up to it. But you can trust in this transformation. You could follow all the rules and be a spiritual superstar and still be nothing. So I want to give you three things. Got them up here as we go and have our Thanksgiving dinner. Firstly, these are really just like basic ones. Firstly, try to have in your life a sensitivity to dehumanizing rhetoric. What I mean by that, so that's language. Language that treats people like they're less than people. So here's one. Those conservatives, those liberals, those so-and-sos. Not people. That's dehumanizing rhetoric. Have a sensitivity to it, because Christians are not called to it. Now, if you develop a sensitivity to this, you're going to feel it a lot, trust me. And you're going to face the challenge then of condemning people who use it. Watch, be careful with that. Look for it in your own life. Secondly, have a larger view than self in terms of how things are going in the world. It might be possible that this is a good day, even though it's not a good day for you. You understand that? I mean, it's, 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 it's infantile almost that we have to point that out. It might be possible that this is a good day, even though it's not a good day for you. What would it mean to make decisions that help others and cost you? Maybe you make a decision about your career that closes a door to you, but you feel led to it because it helps other people. Who's going to congratulate you for that? Nobody. This is the call of the Christian life. It's a demanding call. And Christians, and now this would be where the worst language comes in the sermon at the end. I'll say it again. You are not quoting scripture well or using scripture well or understanding the Bible if you're using it against others to condemn, to hate, and to judge. Remember what I tend to say is that if after reading the Bible you become a bigger, now fill in your own terrible language there, you become a bigger such and such than before you read the Bible, you're getting the Bible wrong. We had a bunch of people in here on Tuesday night for a PTSD talk, post-traumatic stress. Um, what's, and this is, I'm not condemning you in this, by the way. I would ask you to pray for these events because we could hang up a thing and say we're going to have an evangelistic meeting and nobody would come except all the church people. But we say we're going to have a PTSD talk done by North Shore Stress and Anxiety Clinic and we had 50 people here and there were eight from the two churches, total of eight. But there were 50 people in here, first responders dealing with post-traumatic stress, paramedics and police officers, sexual assault victims. It was a tough room, a lot of pain. 
And Rami, Dr. Rami Nader, who did the talk, did a fantastic job. There was lots of good happening. But I left with a palpable sense of what was missing. And that was, and I'll put it this way, and I'm saying this in my Christian faith, what was missing was hope. Something higher. Do you know God? Now, I'm not going to say that in that meeting. I have respect. I want those things to keep going. But I'm going to pray it. The Christian faith is a positive faith. It never turned into this negative message. A hopeful and positive faith. And so my question to you is, would you come to Jesus? Knowing that if you have a religious, ruled understanding of Christianity, that's not what it was supposed to be. Would you allow Jesus to direct how you hold your faith and how you understand concepts of holiness and rules? And can we accept as a church together right now that there is no such thing as holiness apart from this transformation in Jesus Christ towards love? So if you're doing anything, and the more right you are, the more dangerous it is. And isn't it great on Thanksgiving where so often religion divides, where so often in this world we act as if the rules will save us, that we can understand in Christian faith we are called to faith in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit and guide us in this time. We are human and frail and frail and flawed. And it's in admitting our frailty that we can see life in you. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you've called us to the highest of all measures, but that doesn't, that doesn't take our life away. It grants us life as we trust in you. Come Holy Spirit and speak to us. Reveal the truth to us in Jesus' name.